Welcome to Ryan Rants and Raves, a podcast series by the Quebec Government Office in New York. Bienvenue à Ryan Rants and Raves, une série de podcasts par le gouvernement du Québec à New York. Um, today, I'm very excited to be with two industry experts who really have a pulse on what's going on in the fashion industry and also the retail industry. Um, I'm with Carla Martin and Scott Lobodo of Deloitte, and they lead um, their, their fashion arm. Um, thank you both for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you, pleasure. Ryan. Thank you again. So I guess just before we you know, we get into the nitty gritty, can you both just give a brief introduction of yourselves? Yes, I'll start. I'm Carla Martin. I'm a managing director at Deloitte. I lead our fashion and apparel and footwear practice in North America. I've been in retail and particularly focused on fashion. Uh, for the last 20 years of my career with these forays into retail technology at other companies. And right now I'm doing a lot of work around uh, digital transformation driven by the changes in COVID. Scott? Hi, I'm Scott Lavota. I'm a leader in our retail and fashion practice at Deloitte Consulting. I've spent um, over, over 15 years doing work in the retail and fashion industry. Right now, my focus is really helping organizations transform in a direct-to-consumer way and, you know, and harness the power of digital to do that. I, I think you both have very relevant roles doing digital because that is, in many ways, the future. If a brand doesn't have a digital presence, they, they're putting themselves in a precarious situation. And I think we're seeing that, you know, a digital presence is, is, is kind of the bare minimum, right? Yeah. It is going beyond a website or an Instagram to understanding, you know, consumer insights, how you use analytics, how you get signal from noise across all of your channels, and then use that insight into how you develop product, how you think about experience, who your yeah. consumers are, and and what is your, you know, kind of growth strategy based on kind of that, that next gen of consumers. As you see that brands that have done that successfully, that are really ahead and digital have created tremendous competitive distance. And, you know, those that have a lot of legacy assets or that were slow to adapt and didn't have those capabilities, you know, have, have really struggled. Yeah. Well, and, and as you mentioned, the great thing about having digital storytelling and, and be able to share the experience through all their channels that even just through a business level, they have higher margins if they could do it successfully, you know, as, as opposed to wholesale. And they get the retailers probably want to do business with them if they have that strong messaging. But I do want to chat, ask my first question, and it comes from an article you guys published last year, you know, so during this time um, when we were in the midst of COVID, but, you know, it was titled Apparel 2025. Can you both elaborate a bit on some of the trends that may be emerging that you wrote down in, that, in, this, in this study? Is this the broader Deloitte uh, study for Apparel 2025? Yes, exactly. That was meant yeah. intended for 2030, but COVID um, propulsed it yeah. to 2025. <laughs> I think we, you know, it was based on a survey that we did uh, where apparel was going and trends that we were seeing, some of which were already started in, in COVID. So the, the trend toward upcycling um, yeah. in the rental and subscription business that we've seen, you know, people are still, that's still taking off in, in the COVID, in the, in the post-COVID world. The uh, uh, digitally native brands moving into the physical space and vice versa. A lot of move away from, and Scott and I published a follow-on, a move away from, from seasons 
and a much more top line focused on operational excellence in, in areas like supply chain sourcing. And, you know, just, I think the overarching rise of China, both as a powerful digital market and just an untapped driver of trends and consumer. And I'll let um, Scott weigh in here too, because he had a lot of good insights from that as well. Yeah, I think what I'd add is that, you know, what we're seeing, and this goes back to digital, is that the wholesale business model is changing. It's not actually going away. What's really changing is that digital marketplaces that are still selling many different brands have been quite successful. And uh, because of the convenience that they offer consumers, presents are effectively executing a business model that is growing tremendously where you see retailers in the same space room that aren't able to post the same kind of growth. And a lot of them, you know, like you mentioned, they're digital first, you know, like Essence team, I think, I'm not sure if team is digital first, but Essence is digital first, net porte is digital first. So it changes a lot, especially in terms of, of data and which and how they could use that data to succeed. Right. I mean, I think the recommendations they give me, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're far more accurate than, um, than, than what I'll get from the, non, the non-natives, just even a kind of a personal note. And part of that is, I think, intentional. I, they were, one could argue that in many ways, they started as data companies that happened to have a retail component, right? <laughs> right? So they got a ton of data about you that allowed them to pivot to your taste and make sure that what they were giving each consumer was exactly what they wanted. Sysfix, I put in that in that box as well. And so because of that, you know, it's like hyper-personalization, right? That is hard to, to do at scale if you're, if you're starting from the brick and mortar space. There are a lot more players are able to do it now and they're thinking about ways of doing it, but the digital players certainly have a, have a leg up. I think though the counter to that is a lot of those digital players, at least pre-COVID, we're trying to move in a brick and mortar space. There's still evidence yeah. that, um, you know, share of basket, share of wallet is, is bigger in a physical environment, the experience, you can control a little bit more. You look at some of these companies, they have so many software engineers on their team. So they really are a digital company. Um, you know, they have like 50 to 100 underneath their belt and they're always looking to hire more. And as a buyer, I think I'd be very happy to work for one of those companies because all that data reduces your risk and you more likely have a good sell through because you have all those tools at your disposal. You think about it, there's a services component to marketplaces as well as just, you know, kind of running any product um, business these days, everybody needs to take a hard look at what are the services that you offer to your customers to improve the overall experience as well to increase stickiness. And and so I think that's certainly something that these marketplaces have really aggressively started started to build out as a full suite of uh, services for for their merchants to monitor the health of the business. And And a lot of the work that we're seeing is also getting away from having to build something bespoke in-house versus looking for an off-the-shelf solution that allows you to, to leapfrog into digital enablement and, and in online, offline more quickly, wow. right? So I, I think there will always be retailers with a, with a tech department, but you know there's many examples of where the pendulum swung too far the other way. And you see a lot of companies, particularly during COVID, saying, is this the best use of our resources when we are a fashion and apparel company? 
we're running, you know, uh, what is quickly becoming a large size tech organization. And, you know, is there, are there off the shelf packages that we can use that will get us where we want to go so that we can focus on the core business? Now, I do want to ask you both, because you both also featured in WWD or Women's Wear Daily, um, and you spoke about um, seasonless. Um, what does it mean to be seasonless um, to those who don't know? Being seasonless is really you know, fundamentally about uh, bringing product to market when the consumer wants to buy it. And that sounds like a no-brainer, but it's actually a lot more complicated than, than that. So the, the, the old historical fashion model has really been, you know, and even in math, it's all been, it's basically taken down from how Paris uh, sets, sets the fashion calendar. And so it's a very long yeah. calendar that sort of trickles down through the industry. And brands would deliver product in huge kind of seasonal slugs you know, and, and typically, you know, in four seasons. And so the myth there is that you can't really effectively time, you know, the delivery of the product to the kind of the zeitgeist of the market. But you, you also end up kind of operationally, um, you know, working uh, very much in serial. And um, and so it's not a very nimble way of working. And, and going to seasonless means really trying to match what consumers want with what you're bringing out to the market at any given time. Carla, anything to add? Yeah, I, I think what we saw in spades during COVID was, was as people pivoted to living where they wanted to live under shelter in, in place, right? You had people who were coming from places where it's, it's historically warm to going where it's cold. And I think it was illuminating for retailers who were sitting on inventory in their distribution centers that maybe they had planned for a season that they could actually uh, offer right away online. And what they saw is that, especially with younger consumers, they just want new looks. They want newness. They want to mix and match. They want high and low. And they're less confined to what, you know, a fashion calendar or the runway to season. I think Runway shows will be back. They will continue to be important in setting, you know, trends and styles. I think there's always going to be hot places and cold places, and those require different apparel requirements. But the idea that this is resort and it's only this time every year, I think is going to start to collapse in on itself. Because people don't really, um, they don't really buy collections uh, or even outfits in the way that they used to. And, um, and collections really, uh, that's really, a, it's a wholesale department store model where you would sell a collection, you'd sell your resort collection to a department store that's so much less relevant now than just someone, you know, I want to buy a swimsuit because I'm going on vacation. Um, that's, that's really the, you know, that's kind of really the need in terms of where consumers are moving and their buying habits. The one thing which I think who has done a good job in some ways in being seasonless is, um, the footwear industry, you know, like if you think of your large footwear manufacturers, because they do these drops with these collaborators and um, they sell out always within 24 hours. And you have a subset of businesses that, you know, resells um, those products. Right. They've yeah. done a great job of zero marketing and creating demand because of hype and 
awareness, right? You know, so they can tell you that you're going to want to buy this ice pick or this brick or a backpack, right? And that gets fundamentally breaks the ties between a rigid timing in the calendar and when you want to buy or when you will line up to create demand. Part of that is also operationally having the uh, having the portfolio or the pipeline of products that you can then release when the time is right. I now do want to move to something that I think is very much important, and it's supporting um, disenfranchised communities. And I know that you guys recently um, shared that you guys had partnered with Salesforce, and I, I forget the name of the second partner, but it's to um, assist Black entrepreneurs. Can you both speak a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm I'm driving that with our Deloitte Digital team. Um, it's a, a a combination of Deloitte Digital, Salesforce, and Combs Enterprises. You brought another founder, Sean uh, Combs. Uh, he owns brand yeah. among many things. Revolt in the in the video space, Ciroc in the spirit space, and then Sean John in the apparel space. Oh, and yes. the idea was to start a platform. Um, created by, for, and about Black creative talent to bring a greater market awareness to Black uh, apparel, fashion, accessories, home goods, designers, and uh, Black purchasers who have combined huge amount of purchasing power, but sometimes not act uh, awareness of what's available and put them all on one one platform powered by Salesforce. Deloitte would be uh, handling the the front end website look and feel, and comes but be you know uh, attracting the talent and and doing the merchandising for the retail space, and the and the goal was to make sure that uh, black dollars as much as possible in places like Tulsa stay within the black community and are helping small black businesses uh, grow and scale. And be able to combine where they need to to get economies of scale and scope and things like buying and supply chain and sourcing. Amazing! Very, very. When, when is it? When is it going to launch? Is it going to be this year that it will be officially launched sometime this year or two thousand twenty-two? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Okay. Well, I, I'm excited for that. I, I will also ask, like, if if will this include um, international um, um, black creators? So, like, if there was, for instance, a a black designer. I think from... the goal is 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 to include uh, designers uh, across the the African diaspora. Oh, perfect, perfect. So um, I'll have to be in contact with you about some great uh, black creators and designers and companies from um, good old Canada. I'd love, I'd love to connect them. <laughs> <laughs> great. So the the podcast name is Rants and Raves. Do you guys have anything you want to rant or rave about? Uh, my biggest rant would be the, the I cannot wait for the end of the 30-minute meeting. I'm not quite sure whose idea this was <laughs> <laughs> over COVID that, you know, we would live our our, our, our day in 30-minute increments back-to-back um, with very few bio breaks. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's soul-crushing to open your, your calendar for the day. And just see, you know, these big blocks of time. It's, you know, so <laughs> I will like that. And I, and I think my my rave has been, there is, you know, not been a ton of joy in the last year, but there's little moments of, 
you know, we've had clients that have babies and suddenly there are little babies in frame, right? No one would bring their toddler to work, but suddenly, a, you know, a toddler will walk by the screen or, you know, suddenly there's a, there's a puppy and just being able to, you know, still celebrate milestones in creative ways has, you know, I think forced us to think beyond go to a restaurant and have a dinner or, you know, and we've done some really amazing things. So I, so I think they're, they're two, it's both the joy and, and the pain of, of, of Zoom technology. That's a good, that's a great one. Scott? My, my raise is, is raised despite it being more or less locked up or locked down for the last you know, year and a half, um, our culture has changed, you know, so much, so dramatically for the better in terms of the conversation around diversity, inclusion, uh, equality, and, and equity. And, and I think you're starting to see companies um, take it much more seriously and in earnest um, across, um, uh, you know, all aspects um, of diversity. You're certainly, and this is Pride Month, and you're seeing companies recognizing trans people, which which is a major step. And so, so I, uh, so I guess that would be my way. Just, um, you know, certainly uh, a ways to go, but but really a much more open conversation um, in the U.S. today, uh, or, or, you know, around around these issues. I I agree with you. That's one of the silver linings. You know, when you see a dialogue that's commencing to occur. In which before I think it, there what it was really, you know, large companies and even small companies. It was something that they didn't even mention. So it's it's great to see them to recognize you know the problems because you have to recognize a problem in order to make the change. I think that's that's great. And in terms of the thirty minute meetings, th- those are when you have back to backs from nine to noon, just thirty minutes. It's it's very exhausting. I miss commuting to a meeting because at least you could breathe in between it. Um, I but, I completely agree with that. I miss. That is uh, my my rant is also similar, which is like I missed the downtime that travel created when you had a you had a few hours on a plane, but no one could call you, and you did not exactly. talk, and <laughs> you didn't get hoarse from talking so much. So that um, that that was really great. Uh, I'm looking forward to having um, some time to, to disconnect once our schedules get back to some you know some kind of normal. As you both know, I work for Good Old Quebec. You know, they're my employer, which is a great province. But do you guys have anything to share about Quebec where you can also say something about Canada? Scott, I do know you have um, a strong um, tie to Canada. And also, Carl, I know that, you know, since, you know, you have made multiple trips to Canada as well. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts about Good Old Canada or Quebec. Yeah, no, I will start. And Scott's got much more experience, like, working in it. You know, I think Canada has one of the best kept secrets of, uh, you know, apparel and footwear that, that is not as well known in, in, in the, in the U S uh, as it should be right. You know, amazing brands doing, doing some cutting edge things, you know, great department stores who actually thrived during, during COVID. And I think there is just a general, yeah, if you talk about players that you know we think of because they're part of you know sports culture, there's just I think nothing but you know room to grow in both awareness and footprint for 
you know, some Canadian brands in the U.S. and 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 globally. Yeah, thank you. That's music to my ears because it's true. <laughs> yeah, I think also one of the things that you know Canada has done as as someone who you know worked there as an expat for for a while is is been really in, intelligent and intentional uh, um, about uh, it, you know immigration being. Um, you know, our uh, our relatively smaller neighbor compared to compared to the U.S. Ha, you know, Canada's been had a uh, relatively good policy around importing talent, ensuring that the industry um, is is vibrant. You know, in in particular, in you know, in in, in fashion apparel, and I think that's created kind of a virtuous um, a, a virtuous cycle and you know uh, a, a dynamic talent pool uh, to to draw from that. That that's allowed for some of the innovation, um, you know, and the startup activity in the space that Canada's seen. Yeah, and I think it's also you're starting to see brands that are, you know, like some legacy U.S. brands starting to come out with what I would call a Canadian view and sensibility, right? So Canada's an incredibly diverse um, country, and you're starting to see lines that celebrate both you know a French heritage and indigenous heritage yeah. um the city heritage and you know are are designing along those lines right you're seeing more diversity and advertising and social more inclusivity um of the images that they show and 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 definitions of beauty and I'm loving that they're starting to have you know a Canadian point of view in fashion that you can start to to have an eye for and it's and it's distinct yeah yeah and then diverse like you said which is which is beautiful and to close um i do want to ask you both if you have any advice in general to to the community that you can share yeah i think it i think this is going to be the next two years are going to be filled with amazing opportunities right we saw a lot of shakeout um, of folks who didn't make it some, we lost some players that, you know, had been around forever, but I think there's still a ton of opportunity for apparel and in in apparel retail, both in the physical and online environment. And I think the next two years are going to be, you know, really focused on kind of what is the, the, the consumer value proposition? You know, how can you be both digital and, and drive experience? And just, you know, it's not ever sexy, but operational efficiency, laser light uh, focus on, on operational efficiency is what's going to be able to drive being faster, quicker to market with something that, you know, just continues to surprise and delight consumers. In season I will give yeah. Scott the la- I will give Scott the last word because he always has the best last words. <laughs> Thank you. Two things. I I think first of all that there's a tre- there's a tremendous pent up demand, and in particular, I would say demand for quality and luxury. So I think at the in the premium and luxury segment of the market, we're going to see you know incredible incredible growth and in in, in brands. And so so there's there's a ton of opportunity there. Consumers consumers are hungry for something that is special and also that is personal and, and unique to, to what they want. But the other thing I'd say, which is related to Carla, was what Carla was saying about operational efficiency is now is the time for brands to rethink their whole value chain. Yeah. Um, when, when, when I think about digital 
and, and what it can bring. It's not just about sort of one area, it's, you know, digitizing product creation or getting better at digital marketing. It's really rethinking the whole way that the company works from end to end to be faster, more centric to the consumer, and just a more, you know, a more fluid and agile way of working um, so that it could be reactive and adaptive. And, and that's enabled by the digital technologies, but, but it, it, it ultimately has to be led from um, kind of the process point of view and how that really ripples through the entire value chain, through the supply chain and, 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 and the, the end of the consumer. And I think companies that are able to take that kind of holistic system thinking point of view um, uh, and scale it are going to be the ones that outcompete and, and outperform um, in the next several years. Right. You both have gave great advice, so I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And Jean-Marie aussi vous remercier for your time. I'm really happy to have chatted shop with you both. And I look forward to chatting shop with you guys again sometime in the future and hopefully in person. Merci d'avoir écouté Ryan's Rants and Raves. Suivez-nous sur Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. Thank you for listening to Ryan's Rants and Raves. Follow us on Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. À très bientôt.